Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Peasel from CBC Sports, joined as always by my line mates, Mike Russo and Jesse Granger, both in Florida. We're all on the same time zone, guys. That doesn't happen very often. And I know it's a hockey show, but I, I do want to mention this. People probably know this. We're on Zoom. And about two minutes before our show started, I see Jesse pick up his phone, pump his fist. He's, he's all excited because he's going to a basketball game tonight. As a big Denver Nuggets fan, that's got to be good to score a ticket to an NBA Finals game. Yes, sir. Indeed. I uh, I grew up in Colorado Springs, just south of Denver. Been a Nuggets fan my whole life. We have never made the the NBA Finals ever and probably never will again. So uh, I, I just happen to be covering a team that's playing their final series in the same city as the Nuggets are playing the NBA Finals. I figure uh, the stars align like that. There's no way I can uh, not go to the game. So I'll be enjoying me, myself some basketball tonight. Hopefully uh, Jokic and the Nuggets pull it out. <laughs> you didn't get a ticket for Russo. No, but Russo is going to be sitting there. more than welcome if he wants to. If he wants to <laughs> shell out for one of those NBA Finals tickets himself. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out something, uh, something to do down there. Um, I'll be actually heading down there uh, to enjoy some of the festivities. But um, you know what a time to be in South Florida. I mean, everybody knows I, I, you know, I was born in New York, but I grew up here, moved here when I was twelve, lived here until age thirty-one. Uh, worked for the local newspaper here, the Sun Sentinel, the one that's in the county that the Panthers are playing. And for the this market, you know, I, I'm coming from Minnesota, where it's just a skewed market. The, they've gone essentially the longest out of any market in um, all of pro sports without any sort of championship. Haven't won a championship since 91, 117 straight seasons of pro sports without a championship. And starting tonight, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every other day, there is a Heat or Panthers game in the in a championship. Uh, it, what a time to be alive in South Florida. And then, and then right before the show, they signed Messi on the uh, freaking uh, MLS team. Like, this is this is the place to be. It absolutely is. And that's where you guys are. And I'm not. But that's why we have the power of Zoom to do a show like this. We got, uh, obviously, a whole bunch to get to, guys. We're, gonna, we're obviously going to go through what we've seen so far through two games of the Stanley Cup final. 
Uh, a lot of news this week, coaching changes, GM moving, GM news, and, and, and a big trade as well. We'll talk to uh, talk about that. And also, uh, we're going to talk to the new head coach of the Nashville Predators. Russo and I had a chance to speak to Andrew Burnett, so we'll play you that in the second half of the show. But guys, it's the Stanley Cup final. we got to start there. Um, two games in, we've seen a lot. A ridiculous save, probably the best I've ever seen in a Stanley Cup final game, so much so that in a shocking turn of events, Jesse wrote an entire piece on it. Uh, we've seen some crazy hits, debatable hits. Uh, we've seen Bobrovsky kind of look like a normal human being. And we've seen the Vegas Golden Knights jump out to a pretty convincing 2-0 series lead as the series shifts, as we mentioned, to Florida. Jesse, your thoughts on uh, what we've seen so far through two games of the Stanley Cup final? Yeah, I mean, the Golden Knights are playing really, really well. And the Panthers haven't found their game yet, but I think they're probably going to here here in these next couple games. So I think the Golden Knights, if they're going to keep winning, they're going to have to play a lot better than they did the first two games. But um, they deserve a lot of credit for finding their game quicker. You hear it all the time, like the team that finds their game first ends up winning the series. And so far, it's been Vegas. They have been faster. They've been harder on pucks. They've been the stronger team. And like that's to me what stood out in game two was in game one, I thought it was pretty back and forth. Um, Vegas got the saves. Florida didn't. And Vegas ends up winning. I thought to me, it looked like the Panthers came out with a very intentional message sending start to that game too, where Gudis is throwing hits. The Panthers were really throwing their bodies around and they were kind of, in my opinion, trying to say, look, you're, we're going to push this team around and that's how we're going to win the series. And the Golden Knights responded really well. Ivan Barbashev lands a couple big hits. The reverse hit in the corner that ended up uh, ending Gudis's night. I thought Vegas returned that serve as well, well as they possibly could in terms of the physicality. And, and that's why they ended up running away with that game. Yeah, I am, you know, like I still, like I know this is how Florida has played all year long, but I don't look at that team as being overly big, overly physical, and one that's going to intimidate intimidate you out of the rink. Um, you know, obviously they have some hard-nosed players, you know, guys like uh, Gudis and Lumberg and um, Sam Bennett, as we know, and things like that. But I just don't think this Vegas team is one you can push around. They got their, they got some big guys themselves, and uh, one of the biggest ones uh, Rocco Gudas surely learned is um, Ivan Barbashev. And it's not like, you know, from even just a size standpoint, that guy plays hard. He plays competitive. Um, you know, we saw that in the 2018 Stanley Cup final. We saw that last year when uh, St. Louis beat Minnesota in the in the first round and the way that Barbashev was was throwing hits and things like that. Um, I don't think you could do that to this team. They are, they came out with such a such a um, unbelievable pace the other night, uh, Vegas, that there was just no way you were even going to catch him to hit him. Um, and they've they've just got to play hockey. And look, this series isn't over. We saw Dallas, uh, you know, fall down three games and figure out a way to make it a series. So this isn't over yet. Uh, we'll see if uh, Florida can figure out a way to hold serve here at home. Um, but I do have to say to your original point, Rob, um, not to give some inside trading uh, details here. Um, but Jesse Granger and myself, Pierre Lebrun, and our editors had a meeting right before the Stanley Cup final. And Jesse on there was talking about all the stories that he had in the can that he was working on. And he goes, he, he says in this meeting, he goes, basically, I got this great Aiden Hill piece just waiting to be written. I just need that one signature save. And then freaking he makes Shut the save up. of his life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I look at Jesse during the game. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And then the other thing that he says during the freaking meeting is he goes, 
I really need, I have this great, really, you know, Nick Haig and Nick Zach Whitecloud uh, feature that's work, you know, it being worked on. I, I kind of just need Whitecloud to have a really good game. Scores the winning goal. Like that stuff does not happen usually to sports writers. Like usually, usually if you're working on something, the guy that you're working on like breaks his femur or something. Yeah, you got to throw um, the paper and this away. Just, <laughs> yeah, and Jesse, Jesse's just—it's unbelievable uh, just watching him work this series, but also the way those stars aligned. It was pretty freaking cool. So later on in the show, when I ask you what you're working on, whatever you're working <laughs> on is something we should be betting yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like I'm working on a great piece uh, on this guy. All right, game-winning goal. Um, that's pretty crazy because that save, uh, I watched that game with a, a bunch of friends. We were actually away at a cottage, enjoying ourselves, and I've never heard all my friends all in unison just, oh, it was, it's one of those saves that you wrote about it. You talked about, you know, he's been doing yoga during uh, COVID, and, and maybe that has a lot to do with it. But we're going to talk about that save five, 10 years from now. It, it's going to be, remember the Aiden Hill save. And I'm just, you know, I'm wondering where you guys put it as far as all time, all time moments is from a goaltender. Because to me, I've watched it 200 times since that day because it just blows my mind. Where you kind of said it in your piece, Jesse, strategy or what did you you said? You know, goaltending. Technique. You know, technique. There's the word I'm looking for. Went out the window, and he's just like, I can't let this yeah. puck go in the net. I think before we can like rank it or or compare it with historical we have to find out how this story ends like if if the golden knights win this stanley cup and aiden hill it continues playing like this and he wins the con Smythe, i think this is absolutely top three moment top yeah. maybe the maybe the greatest save in stanley cup final history it's definitely in the top five but they have to finish the story first um if if the florida panthers win the next four games yeah, we'll remember that save, but it doesn't go up there with like Holtby is the great is the one that everyone wants to compare it to because it happened in the exact same spot, not just in the same arena, the same city. It was literally the same crease, the same spot on the crease. Braden Holtby reached his paddle across and robbed Alex Tuck. And that was game two of the of the 18 cup final. And the Golden Knights were up one nothing in the series and the game was tied late and that would have put Vegas up in that game and likely up to nothing in the series. Instead, Washington wins the next four games and it's over. So if Washington doesn't finish that series off, we don't really remember that Holtby save. Like if Vegas wins that series, nobody really cares about that Holtby save. So for me to rank Hill's save, we have to see how this story ends. But if he and the Golden Knights finish the story, it's absolutely one of the greatest saves in Stanley Cup final history. Such a so the turning point too, turning point time-wise, like it really does come down yeah. to the fact that that could be why they win this series. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, Florida tied the game up in the same game, right? Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that would be my only thing about it. It's like, it's hard to, you're not really, you know, put context to it. It's still game one. It's like, it's like all the people that were like, you know, freaking out that Toronto might have scored that one goal in the, in the game against, uh, you know, uh, Florida. Like, uh, first of all, they eventually tied it and still lost in overtime. And it's still, it was in game five where they had, or, or, you know, where they were down three, one, it wasn't like this, like big, like, you know, thing that like stole them a freaking ability to be in this series. And I think same thing there. It's still game one. It's, you know, oh, it's stop game being such a curmudgeon and just enjoy oh, the save. <laughs> I'm just saying to say it's the best ever. Like, you know, like when I think of signature saves, I think of 2009 game Glory. seven at, at, you know, Joe Lewis arena. 
And if Flurry doesn't make that save on Nicholas Lickstrom, they might not win the cup because that game's going to overtime. You know, that to me is a signature, like, you know, all-time great save. That literally was a cup-saving save. Um, and so this still, to me, is, a, you know, is a great save. In the moment, the flurry save, like if you if you if you factor in that it's the last seconds of game seven, but the actual yeah. save itself was like it was a it was very good ugly. save, but not it was kind of ugly. Like, he threw his chest like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was it was vintage, it was vintage flurry, right? Re- reaction yeah. after maybe overplaying, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The hill one was pretty insane. On yeah. the other end, I gotta ask you about Bobrovsky because it's amazing how we we put someone on such a pedestal, you know, rightfully so. And then they struggle for two games, and immediately the question of Paul Maurice after game two is, is Bobrovsky getting the start on game three? And and Paul Maurice has been really pumping his tires, saying we 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 believe we're going to see the Bobrovsky we need in game number three. Um are you are you surprised to see him struggle a little bit the way he's he has? He's lost nine goals in these two games, got yanked in one of them, um, or eight goals, excuse me, two games, got pulled in game two surprised to see this or is this one of those things where we are in the Stanley Cup finals and he's played a lot of hockey Russell start with you yeah you know I mean it is surprising just because he's been so good and so much talk coming into the series was about Con Smythe and now that's no longer the talk and you know I thought it was a little odd the questions the other night about whether or not he was going to start game three I mean he's starting game three it's not gonna be Alex Lyon but you know look we don't have the context of covering Florida all year where, you know, really the last couple of years where he has struggled marketably and that, you know, in a, in must win games in Washington down the stretch, they're starting Alex Lyon and not Bobrovsky. So that's probably the context of the question there. But I think right now it'd be foolish to make that change. Now, if he get, goes out tomorrow night and gets pulled again, now it's it becomes a talker and it definitely becomes an issue. I don't think he's been horrible at all this series, but he's definitely not. He's getting outplayed by Aiden Hill. There's no doubt about that. Um, and the, you know, Florida's just got to do a better job as, as Paul Maurice said the other night. I mean, they're just, it's like, they're just there, but they're not there in terms of blocking shots. I mean, the other night they had 11 block shots. That is not enough when you're just giving up unblocked shots constantly to, um, to Bobrovsky. He's getting screened on goals. He's getting screened on plays that he's actually making saves on. Um, Florida's just got to commit themselves to being better. And I think if there was any concern that I would have right now with Florida, it's not so much Bobrovsky. It's so much that thinning blue line. You know, Gudis is clearly, um, you know, injured. Um, you know, Gudis, like Josh Maher is a really good defenseman if he's the supporter being supported on his defense bear. When he's the one now that is kind of the guy that has to lead that defense bear, it's a problem. You know, Casey Fitzgerald was obviously over his head the other night. Um, they they just seem to be a, a suddenly, a, Ekblad has not had a good series at all so far. Um, their blue line has to be much, much better in front of Bob. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of what Michael just said. I think Aiden Hills definitely outplayed him. And if you're Bobrovsky, that can't happen. Um, <laughs> if you're going to win this series, you have got to be the better goalie. And um, the other part that Michael mentioned about block shots, they're coming so close. And like, as a terrible beer league goalie, I know what it's like to have the shot almost blocked and get through. It's a goal. Like, like you, you can't read the release. You'd almost rather your player not go for the block. Get so out of the way. Actually, see the shot. The worst thing you can do as a defenseman, and it's and it's such a tough line, right? Because you want to block the shot. You're within centimeters of blocking it, but if you don't block it, if you go for that block and you don't get it, your goalie has no chance, especially when it's in tight. 
Um, the Nick Waugh goal is the, is the best example, but it's happened over and over and over in these two games. The Waugh one, he's on the doorstep, basically. I mean, he's like six, seven feet in front of Bobrovsky. And I forgot which defenseman it was, but he like knelt down and, and put his whole body in front of it to try to get it. And Waugh shoots it around him, and Bobrovsky didn't even move. He's still standing on his skates when the puck goes in because he couldn't couldn't see the release. So it's such a tough, like, tightrope line to walk for the defenseman like you want to block the shot but if you go for it you've got to block it and if you don't your goalie is going to be in trouble and that has happened a shocking number of times in this series like if you go back and look at all the goals Bobrovsky's let up it, a, a lot of them are coming from missed just missed blocks that he didn't get to see the release on or got tipped so um he needs to be better but uh, like Michael said, it's it's. I think it's more on the Panthers' defense to to not put him in those spots um, because if you continue putting him in those spots, it doesn't matter how good he is. If you can't see the release, you're not going to stop many pucks unless they hit you. Two more things before we move on to some of the big news from the week. Number one, the balance scoring we've seen from this Vegas team has been ridiculous. They set an NHL record, nine different goal scorers through the first two games of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's never been done. 12 different Vegas skaters had at least one point in game number two. Um, you know, Jess, you say this all the time. You know, I'd be lying if I told you I watched all 82 Vegas games this year, especially because of the time zone. But is this something that we've seen throughout the entire year? I know we love to give the Eichels and the Marchessos all the credit, but it's really at a point right now where anybody could score for this team. Yeah, I mean, it's that's been the difference between this team and the, the previous playoff runs that ended short is – they're getting scoring up and down the lineup, and it's like you said, it's been this. This isn't something new. This team didn't have an elite goal scorer in the regular season. I mean, you look at some of the the other teams. You look at Edmonton, the, the points their their guys put up. I mean, Jack Eichel led this team with sixty six points this season. Um, that's a that's a good season, but that's nothing special um, offensively. But the difference is we've got. Nine guys with at least 35 points. They've got 10 guys with at least 30 points. They, they have gotten this type of scoring up and down the lineup all season long. Um, their fourth line, guys like Nick Waugh, William Carrier had a, a career year offensively. Um, and then the other part of it is you look at the way Bruce Cassidy has built this lineup, and they have three lines that you could argue are their top line. I mean, like the Eichel, Marcia, so Barbashev line is, is technically the top line. It's, it's they're, they're, they take line rushes first. But William Carlson, Riley Smith, and Michael Amadio have played the toughest minutes of any line. They've, play, they've matched up against opposing top lines. Oh, and then the third line is Mark Stone, Chandler Stevenson. Are you kidding me? Like, and Brett Howden, who's, who scored two goals the other night. Like, you could argue any of those three lines are their top line. And when you build your roster that way, Cassidy has kind of used two anchors on each line and then put them with a third guy that probably isn't a top a top line guy, but but with with those two can can pitch in and make and make the, the contributions you need. So I think it's partially they've got really good players, a lot of them. And then I think the other thing is the way Bruce Cassidy has has constructed this lineup and spread the talent throughout those three lines. And then you've got a, a kind of an identity fourth line that that likes to, to check and, and can chip in some goals, too. Um, and you end up with a team that is really, really tough to match up with. Um, you, I mean, it's happened in every round. Edmonton and Winnipeg just could not deal with the depth. I thought Dallas was going to be a much bigger test because they've got a lot better forward depth. And they, they couldn't out. There was one game where their depth outplayed Vegas and Bruce Cassidy 
challenged his sixth line and or his bottom six, and then they come out and and have the best game of their season to to close the series out in Game Six. So um, this depth has has come through for them all season long. It's not surprising. It's it's coming through here in the Cup Final. Yeah, Michael Amadio must make a lot of people in this NHL absolutely freaking sick. I mean, Ottawa, Toronto, L.A. just dumped, you know, thrown away. Waivers, you know, I mean, it's just, and, and then you look at him, he's, he scores, what, 15 or 16 goals in the regular season. He has nine points in the playoffs, scores in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, that, that to, to Jesse's point on depth, um, can we rave a little bit about Jonathan Marshall, so please? I mean, this guy... I mean, you know, Kelly McCrimmon said it at the beginning of this series. This guy just always finds a way to seize the moment in big games. And obviously, he had, at least offensively, production-wise, a very slow start to his postseason. But right now, him and Aiden Hill are neck and neck if Vegas wins the series for the con smite. This guy has got 12 goals in his last 12 games. He gets cross-checked in the face the other day, just comes back, freaking scores on the power play. Lombard comes after him later in the game. Marcheseau's mic'd up. He tells him <laughs> that you're not worth it, little man. Jonathan Marcheseau is calling somebody a little man. Okay? <laughs> hey, little fella. You know, I mean, that's got to just drive you freaking crazy. This guy is just such an absolute stud every single postseason um, for this for this team. And, uh, you know, it's impressive. There's a reason why, you know, there were six guys left in that inaugural team. And I think there's a reason why they've picked certain guys. William Carlson's got 10 or 11 goals. This is supposed to be their now checking center. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, Chase Theodore's had a tough playoff. What's he do the other night? Scores a brilliant goal. I mean, it's just, they, they are, they are rolling right now. And last thing on this here is before we move on to the big news of the week and your answers will dictate how long we spend on this. If we're all in agreement, we'll move right on. Matthew Kachuk hit on Jack Eichel, clean or dirty? Clean. I go clean. Jesse? Like Jack Eichel said, it was clean hit. It was partially my fault. I need to keep my head up. Yeah, 100% clean. Yeah, So, but it's still. it feels like it's still lingering with that, that big question mark. And I don't know if that's just what we've become in, in hockey where every hit needs to be dissected a million different ways and in slow motion. But if you look, Jack Eichel toe picks, his head's down. And to me, there's no predatory, you know, type thing going on with Kachuk where he's trying to hit someone in the head. Let's move on. Clean hit. All right, boys. Some news that came out this week. This one came out yesterday. We don't ordinarily talk about a big three-team trade um, during the Stanley Cup final, but we saw one Columbus, Philly, and L.A. Uh, and in the end, Ivan Provorov, who we talked about at length earlier on this season, is now in Columbus. Uh, Cal Peterson, Sean Walker. Uh, a couple of picks heading to uh, Philadelphia. Um, Kings freed up some cap space. They also took 30% of Provorov's contract. Uh, according to Chris Johnson, maybe doing that to, to sign uh, Gavrikov. Your thoughts on the three-team trade. Russo, we begin yeah, with you. Yeah, first of all, start of the, like, you know, the Flyers are now definitely going into rebuild mode. Um, we'll see if Cal Peterson can reestablish himself. Um, but this is sort of the beginning. You know, they've tried to trade Provorov a couple times. Uh, we were hearing that last year. Um, and Columbus was one of the teams that had a lot of interest in him. We'll see if he reestablishes himself. This is a guy that scored, what, 17 goals four or five years ago, and it's just been downhill ever since. And in terms of, um, you know, uh, what's going on in L.A., I mean, again, I was in Columbus the night that the Gavrikov trade uh, happened. Actually, it was the Orloff trade. Everything got screwed up. Uh, if you remember, Gavrikov had to sit out forever. 
And the irony that, again, that this all happens with L.A. involved and the whole purpose of this to sign the Columbus player. And they get Provorov. They're essentially replacing Provorov with, with, you know, Gavrikov with Provorov. They gave Gavrikov to L.A. And then they make this trade to have them take some of the salary for Provorov so they could sign Gavrikov. Like, you know, try to explain all that. I don't know if I just did it well. Um, you know, what's really confused the hell out of me there in the last sentence. You know what I mean? I mean, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that they essentially are retaining the salaries for Columbus to have Provorov so they can then open up cap space to get Kavrikov? Um, Gavrikov, um, is interesting to me because, you know, he's a shutdown defenseman. Um, you know, I haven't seen a ton of them, but clearly the interesting part here is that they're trying to create cap space to sign him. But I get the impression that he only wants to sign for a couple of years there. And then uh, sort of bet on himself. So we'll see what happens here in terms of term. But I expect that Gavrikov will get signed at some point here. Yeah, it's for me. It's interesting how much they got back for Provorov because um, they. I mean, they got they got a lot of draft yeah. capital back for him. And it's it's one of those things where it's tough to it's tough to judge. Like I don't watch the Flyers every night. Why in the hell would I? It's tough to judge a defenseman on a bad team like that without watching them every night and and seeing what what they're going because like his numbers like you mentioned. Michael are awful. I mean, he you, you said he had the 17 goal season as like a 21 year old way back. Um, a couple seasons later, he had 13 goals in in 2019 20. Uh, I think that was the bubble year when the Flyers kind of had that breakout and everyone thought that that young core was going to be good. He I think he got like a couple votes for the Norris that year, and people thought this is going to be one of the like best defensemen in the league at some point maybe. And that hasn't happened at all. I mean, the last two seasons, last year he was a minus 20 on the ice. This year he's a minus 17. Again, it's tough to tell if that's him or if that's just a product of being a defenseman on an awful team. If he ends up being the player that Columbus hopes, they're going to be fine. But if not, I mean, like I said, when I first saw the trade, my initial thought was, wow, that's a lot to give up um, for for Ivan Provorov. Let's stick with Columbus uh, because for all intents and purposes, Mike Babcock is going to be their new head coach come June 30th when his contract officially expires with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, hasn't worked since 2019. Stanley Cup champion, world champion. We, we know his his resume, two-time Olympic gold medalist, but we also know uh, why he was fired and he's been labeled a bully. He's got some tactics that are, let's call them old school. Uh, <laughs> we've debated throughout the year whether or not he should be back behind an NHL bench. It looks as though it's going to happen. Russo, since you giggled, we'll start. we'll start with you. Well, because I agree, is I mean he is old school, and he needs to change to become new school. I mean, you know, it just look there, as a professional coach, but any coach, you gotta be you gotta be uh, growly at times, as to use a term that Paul Maurice, um, you know, uses at times. But this is a new age, you know. You can't. It's like it's like everybody adapted, um, and I'm sure there's tons and tons of stories um, that we don't know about with other the other 31 coaches in this league, 32 coaches in the league, but it's like everybody adapted and he didn't realize that this is a new time and you just, one, you can't treat players like this, but it just doesn't work. Um, you know, um, and I don't, I just hope that he gets that because, you know, I heard clips from a podcast that he did with Andy Strickland right after, you know, not, not long after he was fired or after he was fired, regardless, whenever the timing was. And it didn't, he, it didn't sound to me like somebody, um, that did learn that, you know, he, he, I don't think that he realizes um, that his tactics need to change. Um, I guarantee you that he regrets the Mitch Marner stuff. That is what he did there is just stupid. 
Um, and it was so Mike Keenan of him. Like I covered Keenan and he would do the same stuff, you know, put Huselius in a folding chair in the middle of the locker room and sort of undress him in front of his teammates. And for him to do that thing to Marner where he basically, you know, you know, defiles his teammates and then goes and reads. <laughs> to his, I mean, like, how does he even c- consider that that is something appropriate to do? So I just hope that he changes. It's very shocking to me. Like Columbus, like clearly they're not worried about public opinion right now by getting Proveroff and Babcock back to back. Yeah, it's like they're I was just like say that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's so funny to me that that they're just they're and the other thing is, is, is sometimes things are predictable. It's like they go to tor- uh, go from torts. Then we're going to like tone it down, go with Brad Larson. Now we're going to go back to Babcock. It's just sometimes it's just it's so strange the way the teams work. But look, the one thing that I'll give I'll say about Yormo is that that you can't that you've got to at least from a hockey perspective is that Babcock is a great coach and Provorov has the ability to be a great defenseman. And that's what he's banking on. Um, And so we'll see what happens. As someone who covered Keenan, though. Keenan was always like that. And we've heard, um, we've all heard a million Keenan stories, mm-hmm. but he had that reputation even when he was behind the bench, mm-hmm. right? Like we knew, we knew what Mike Keenan was. I feel like the Babcock factor was different because it almost came as a surprise to the general public. All yeah. we knew is a guy who's won at every level. And then suddenly these stories came out and suddenly the Johan Franzens of the world and the Mike Commodores of the world are coming out saying, We've known this guy's been an asshole for years. You guys didn't know that. You yeah. guys, I mean, when he was a quote unquote free agent, when, you know, the, the Leafs ended up signing him, he might have been the most sought after coach in NHL history. I've never seen anything like that. So I think the element of kind of surprise is what got me and what got a lot of people to find out, yeah, he wins, but at what cost? Whereas Keenan was just like, yeah, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you don't like it, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Iron Mike Keenan. Um, but I agree with you. I, I until all the Babcock stuff came out, um, I had no idea, you know, he, and and so that is just he is going to have to change. And, um, um, you know, yeah. I'm sure he will. He's going to be asked all the questions and all that stuff. But he's got to, you know, whatever he says, he's got to then go, uh, you know, walk the walk, so to speak. Right. That's and that's what like I'm curious to see. Clearly, Mike Babcock is a smart guy. I mean, you don't win all these hockey games and and have the career he's had without being really, really smart. He's got to be smart enough to realize that he's got to change. Like, I remember talking to Pete DeBoer, and Pete DeBoer, he's a player's coach. Like, the the players, he's he's pretty easy on his players. But even he was telling me, like, I I sat down with him a couple years ago when he was coaching in Vegas, and he said, like, yeah, the the way we have to do this profession has changed a lot since I started doing it. Um, It was a lot more dictator-like. You can say, you tell them what to do, and they all do it back when he first started. And that's not that long ago. And now the players have a lot more power, and that's probably for the good. And you're more of a a partner with the players rather than their boss almost at times. And um, I think that, like I said, I think Mike Babcock, in order to have the career he's had, he's got to be a smart guy. And I think he's got to realize that that what he was doing can't continue. And um, if he can change some of those things and, and build good relationships with the players, we know what kind of coach he is. And like you said, maybe that's what Yarmo's betting on is if he has changed some of the things that, that ended him not having a job, they then, then they just got a hell of a hockey coach um, that that nobody else was trying to sign at the moment. So we'll see how it works out. Speaking of coaches, the Ducks have found their new coach, Greg Cronin, uh, replacing Dallas Aikens. Uh, first time as a head coach in the NHL, spent five seasons with Colorado's affiliate in the American Hockey League. Also spent a lot of seasons as an NHL assistant with the Leafs 
uh, and the Islanders. Um, still a couple teams without a coach, but uh, your thoughts on the Greg Cronin hiring. Jesse? Uh, I want to give them props for hiring somebody new. Um, we didn't really talk about it on the show, but I was I was super proud of the Washington Capitals for hiring Spencer Carberry. I think more assistants and more AHL guys need to get shots in this league. I've been saying it forever. I think that, yes, there are some really good coaches that lose their job, and it's an obvious hire when, when that happens. But at the same time, I think that we need to give more new guys chances. So um, I don't know how Cronin's going to do. He's got a great resume. I think that it's good that new guys are getting chances. Mm. I, I say we should stick with the retreads and keep the dinosaurs, you know, because uh, um, it makes me feel like I, I belong still as a sports writer. Um, it's funny as long as I am I'm, I'm obviously being tongue in cheek, um, uh, but it is funny when he was hired. I was I quickly looked at some of the mentions and people were like, who? What the hell? You know, like, you know, what a joke franchise. And I'm like, all these people is like, you know, stop with the retreads, stop with the retreads. And then they hire somebody that they've never heard of. And they're like, what the hell yep. is Anaheim doing? Um, I'm good with no retreads as long as Paul Maurice, by the way, stays in the game. Um, that guy is ever. Could you imagine covering him every day? Jesse, I know you you have it. You have it made with with, you know, you go from DeBoer to Cassidy. But can you imagine covering Paul Maurice every day? Like as a sports writer, sometimes your your tank is empty. You go to practice, you're like, what the fuck am I going to write about today? I got nothing. But you go to Paul Maurice, and not only will he answer a question, he'll give you like a freaking 500-word soliloquy that you could just tack together, and now you got your 500 words into your article. Um, this guy, like even the other day, like, you know, like Jesse, if you were in that pregame where I asked him about the Heat and the Panthers having – Stanley Cup final games at the same time for this feature I'm working on. And he, he, he gives an anecdote that wrote the story for me, you know, him talking, he calls home the other day and the night before um, game, game two in Denver and his wife goes to him, um, you know, Oh, you must be calling because the heat game just ended. And that really was why he was just calling. But the fact that she had knew knew that and was watching the game too, that stuff that his wife, he said is never done before. Obviously he did it much more funnier and eloquently than I just, just than I just said, but like to me that that is um I, I just have loved kind of being the Florida guy on this series and 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 covering him and as long as he's still in the game I'm perfectly fine with it. But uh, to your point originally, like Pat Verbeek, Rob clearly did his due diligence. He took his time with his process. He apparently went overboard on the number of interviews. Um, you know, and and I think sometimes that you know GMs that make quick decisions they really are letting their franchises down. Um, you know, even owners that then go hire GMs and make a quick decision. Like you, it is imperative sometimes to use these interview processes as due diligence to find out what other uh, th people think of your franchise. And so even if you are going to sit down in front of Jesse Granger and, and you're going to be like, I have no, I, I really deep down have no plans on hiring Jesse Granger as the coach, but Jesse now gives you a bunch of his thoughts on your franchise. That's great banked intelligence. And so I think Verbeek went about this business. Um, exactly the way that he should. If he thinks at the end of the day that Cronin was the right guy for the job, I trust him more than anybody that has no idea what Cronin's resume is. And by the way, I'm one of those people. And finally, speaking of quick decisions, um, we weren't shocked to find out Cal Dubas uh, was going to be <laughs> hired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, he was announced as their president of hockey operations. 
and kind of walked in the door and fired three members of the front office. Um, <laughs> so he, he certainly didn't take a page out of the Mike Russo handbook. Uh, <laughs> I mean, usually you give everyone a chance, even if you think I'm going to get rid of this person, you, you cosmetically, you just kind of say, let me just pretend I'm watching and, and letting them prove their worth. But Kyle Dubas coming in like a bull in a China shop in Pittsburgh. Jesse, what do you think of, uh, him cleaning that cleaning house so quickly. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it makes me wonder. Like, Pittsburgh has been trying to hold on to this window for a while, and you could argue you could argue maybe too long. The last couple of years, it hasn't worked out. Based on the way he handled the personnel in the front office, I'm wondering what kind of like drastic changes can happen with this team in terms of starting a rebuild. Um, it makes me wonder, like. That is such a touchy situation for a GM because that fan base, I mean, they love those players for very good reason. Um, it's going to be interesting. And, and if you do and if you do go that route, like if he and Kyle Dubas is, seems like a person that does things his way. And, and if he feels like this is the best way to do it, I'm doing it. I don't care what anyone else feels. I, I think it'll be it'll end up being the right decision. If you go in there and he he handles the player situation the same way he did that situation and makes a bunch of big moves and starts a rebuild, man, you better be right. Um, or or there's going to be a lot of anger in the fan base. So it's it's to me, I am absolutely fascinated. Like I'm glad Dubas got the job in Pittsburgh because it's such a, a awkward situation with a bunch of loved players. And and do you do you try to add another piece and and extend this window or do you? Try to start looking to the future. Um, I am just, I am very fascinated. I am going to be an eager onlooker to see what happens in Pittsburgh over the next couple of years. You know, it's funny. I was just going to say uh, when you said uh, to keep this window open, and I was going to say the window is closed, but, you know, I don't want to jump to too many conclusions because I think sometimes this game is so strange sometimes, right? I mean, everything, it's puck luck. And I mean, look, going into this year, Everybody thought this was going to be the downfall of the Vegas Golden Knights. And, the and Bruins. here they are, two wins from... Yeah, I mean, right. this Bruins. is... Yeah, Bruins, yeah. yeah. 100%. So, like, yeah. but huge differences. Well, actually, I, I, sorry. I'm going to just actually, again, totally contradict myself. I was going to say huge differences between Pittsburgh and Vegas is that Pittsburgh doesn't have the goalie. And I'm like, well, we're watching Aiden Hill <laughs> be two wins from a cup following Logan Thompson and Brossois. Yeah. Like... You know, maybe maybe actually we can't even say that Drugeri is an issue. Um, I guess the, the one thing about the rebuild thing that's very strange is to me is like, is that just, again, everything I know is mostly from reading everything, but it felt like that is where the Ron Hextel disconnect happened, is that he wanted to begin that process and didn't want to sign guys to like Latang and, and Malkin to long-term contracts. And, uh, you know, and, and it, and it feels like at some point somebody's going to have to make that tough decision. And clearly Dubas is eventually going to have to make that tough decision. So like where, where did the disconnect happen? And, you know, like, and I, the other thing I find it hilarious is the excessive trashing publicly by the fans and media of Ron Hextall. And now without it really having any context, now Kyle Dubas is the greatest thing ever without any context, you know, like, it's, I don't know. There's just some, sometimes it's so funny being in the media business and watching the way that things react. It's like, if you run, Ron Hextel out of town. Now the next guy that comes in, you got to say it's the greatest hire ever. Let's see him work. The story that I still want to be, want to read is Sidney Crosby's role in all this because he was Me right too. there. He was, he was meeting with Dubis 
as I said, as I said, he was meeting with Ed, you know, I, I, is Ed Olchick going to have some sort of role at some point? I don't know, because he was definitely in, in Carolina meeting with Olchick at some point during the Eastern Conference final. Um, you know, what is going to happen here? You know, Mike Sullivan's role in all this. Obviously, he's very close with the Fenway group. Um, you know, it's, uh, the other thing here is, does Kyle Dubas actually hire a GM? Or even if he hires a GM, is it going to be the traditional role of a GM? Kyle Dubas is going there to manage that team. He might have the president of hockey ops title, but he is the GM. Um, this isn't going to be like, you know, like, like to me, it's, it's probably a collaborative. Did he not just leave a situation though, where he was in the opposite position and hated it? Like well, uh, well, if we no, believe that, all the stories point. that have leaked out of Toronto. Yeah. yeah. But, but to me is that he is running that franchise. This is going to be like this, like he is the president of hockey ops and he is going to make the decisions. And the GM is going to be more of probably a traditional role that sometimes we see in other sports. So, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, you know, when I, co- at times when I was covered the heat down here, it's like you had Randy Fun and Pat Riley, but we all knew that Pat Riley was the man in charge. You know, Randy Fun was the GM. And, uh, so I, it's just gonna be really fascinating to see how that all works. Something else could be really fascinating hearing from Andrew Burnett, the new head coach of the Nashville Predators. He's coming up after the break. So don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, so when the Nashville Predators played their first game ever back in 1998, our next guest was not only on the roster, but if you want some hockey trivia, Russo, scored the first ever goal in Preds history. Here we are. Hockey hockey trivia, I was there for it. Hey, you're aging yourself with every single show when you do that. You were covering that. It was right around your 50th birthday, right? Uh, here we are 25 years later. Uh, and he is now joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show to talk about his new gig as head coach of the Nashville Predators. Andrew Brunette joining us. Thanks so much for doing this, and congratulations on the gig. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Roos covered my first goal, too, so it, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's a good luck charm. Oh, don't <laughs> tell him stuff like that. We're never going to hear the end of it. He's going to remember, I'm a good luck charm. Andrew Brunette said so. Do you, before, we'll get it, obviously, into the, to the uh, – this year's edition of the of the um, Predators, excuse me, but can you think back to that time, those first couple of games, the hype of, you know, the first ever game in franchise history and how good it must have felt in game two to actually put the puck in the net for the first time? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a pretty special time in, in well, the city of Nashville and the Predators, but even in my career, you know, kind of coming into with Barry and, and David, Paul Gardner, that kind of had me in the American League. Uh, and drafted me to Washington and, and getting an opportunity to come into the city that the excitement level was through the roof. Um, it was a, it was a electric place to play. Uh, you had the country stars coming out. Um, they were so happy to have hockey. And, 
probably didn't really know what was going on. You know, I think the evolution of the fan base where it is now from from then is is amazing. But uh, the excitement and, and the thrill, and then not scoring in the first goal, our first game. Sorry, was kind of, you know obviously. You know, we were competitive in the game, but to get the first one and, and kind of, unfortunately, like everything else in my career, it took a little while to, to say it's a goal. You're a little slow getting everywhere, but kind of blew the roof off when, when they finally announced it was a good goal. So there are all kinds of great memories in that city um, with that franchise. Uh, yeah, the, our last week's guest, uh, Ray Whitney, actually scored the only goal in the first ever Predators game. Uh, it was a one nothing Florida win in 1998. My lead to that game story was that if, if this didn't kill hockey in Nashville, nothing will. I still remember <laughs> that. It, it was such a brutal game. And then the next yeah. game, uh, you score, the, uh, score uh, the first goal in Predators history. You know, it is funny, Bruno. I mean, you mentioned I first, uh, you know, as a, I, I was covering the Panthers at the time, but I covered your first NHL goal at Miami Arena with the Caps and I covered uh, a lot of your goals in, in Minnesota. I still remember sitting with you outside a coffee shop in San Jose do, working on your thousand game story. And I happened to dig that up the other day. And the one thing that we talked about is what was going to come next in your career. And you really, at that point, did not know. And next thing you know, your, your playing days uh, end and you, come t- you, you stay in Minnesota. You did every single job in wild history. Um, and then you get the opportunity down here in Florida. When was it at a point where you realized, you know what? You've done assistant coach, you've been an assistant GM, you've done player development, but but coaching is what your maybe your first passion was for. Well, I think probably near the end of my tenure in uh, in Minnesota, there was some changeover and a little bit of shuffling of the deck upstairs, and it was kind of probably two years in the making where you're feeling a little bit like you're missing something. Um, you're missing. Not sure what I, I think when we all retired and, and I played a long time and we think when you leave the game, you'll find something and you'll find something to replace it and, or you, you or you continue to search for it. And, and I found that I was in a, you know, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I loved hockey. I love the scouting. I love the development. I, I loved it all. I mean, uh, that's the one thing I am kind of a hockey junkie, but I just felt you're missing something. You're kind of missing your, your little bit of your North star or, or sort of say where you're, you're just felt like there's something I, I, there's something else I want to do. And I, and I was 46 at the time and was thinking to myself at this point, I, I don't know what it is. I, I loved coaching. Um, maybe, you know, I miss the trenches. I miss the day-to-day activity with the players, you know, the highs and lows, the, you draft at Erickson Eck and, and, you're seeing he, you could help him do so much more. You know, you you could try to push to play him, or you could you could do all these different things. But when you're upstairs, a thousand feet away, or you're in Finland watching games, you, you just felt so far away. And you're building block, you're building for the future, which is a real fun thing. But I think I missed in the moment the trench. So you know, when I was 46, kind of the the changeover in Minnesota, and then Joel Quenville called um, and asked me if I'd like to join him, and I kind of said at the time, I. I you know, coaching, I would, I would definitely entertain. I just want to be somebody I can really learn off of. And so I, so Joel called and I said, you know, I'm 46, let's just give it four years. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll go back to what I was doing. I think I was very good at what I was doing, um, in, in much of different areas in hockey. Um, but I had to give it a go. So I went with Joel and the passion returned. I think I loved it more than I ever did. Uh, um, and we had a great group um, with with Barkoff and Huberto. And to work with those guys every day and to see them get better and, and then feel the group 
the winning become contagious and watching them grow and, and, and you know, being enthusiastic about the style of play and how we do things, it, it really was an adrenaline for me and I fell in love with it. And then, um, unfortunately, you know, with what happened to Joel, I, I got put in the head coaching position and, you know, I even enjoyed it more. And I kind of said, this is my North star. This is kind of what I want to do. Um, you know, I loved, you know, being sort of in control and, and, and doing things and thinking of the things that I thought of over the years, kind of implementing them um and having that kind of power and, and and i really enjoyed it so it that was kind of how it how it came about i think i would have been completely content you know doing what i was doing but i felt you know again not to re- repeat myself too many times i felt i was missing a little something that being said andrew i mean all you have to do is listen to any of the players who have played under you speak about your coaching style and it's pretty simple your players coach they love you the word fun comes up all the time and we're at an age right now where I mean, we just did it in the first segment of our show. We you, you debate, scrutinize coaching styles. You've got someone like Mike Babcock coming back in the league, and and given the way he had to leave and everything else, um, this it, more than ever, I feel like the outside voices come into old school versus new school. How you should you know manage men? How you should you should do it as far as not only on the ice but how you manage them off the ice. I'm wondering if your philosophy's ever changed over the years, just given that you've got so many outside voices saying, you know, you can't intimidate players. You can't do this. Or, or have you kind of always been on the same path? Well, I think, you know, we're all kind of going to, every coach is going to run its time. And, and a lot of times they, they kind of want the opposite that's gone through. Um, but I, I think one of the benefits of being in the positions I was is being around young kids at the combine and a little bit of player development. And, and what I've seen over the years is that players now need more, more than ever, they need communication and they need somebody to, regardless if you agree with them or not, but feel validated. What they're saying is, is really important to you. And I think you can open that conversation up, open the lines of communication up where they, they, they will trust you. You know, I think every, I mean, even in life, I think, you know, I, I believe in the word connection and I think we all crave to be connected to somebody or something. Um, you know, the game of hockey is a, is a huge connection for me, but within the connection, there's all kinds of little values that kind of go with it. And I think communication with today's players, it's not like the old days and not like when I grew up where you never wanted to talk to the coach, you know, and if you did talk to the coach, it was no good. Today's player is they, they want to be about, they want to be heard. They want to be seen. And, you know, I think of Bruce Boudreaux, you know, and I was working with him in Minnesota. He had, uh, he might've been ahead of his time. He, on his board, he had all the things that were important. And one of them was make sure you talk to all everyone, you know, as, as coaching staff, make sure we hit every person today, every player today. And that's something I, I took for him. And I think that's so important because it's a different world. And I kind of saw it from being upstairs and in the combines and working with the young kids and, and how much, um, they need they're, they they want to know why this generation and and we have to be able to be vulnerable enough to know that you know we don't know why all the time but we're going to work together you know we're going to be a partnership here and we're going to get better and so i think that those are the, some of the things that, that i've kind of learned are is it perfect is the old school way better i think if you can blend both um i just think it's harder and harder in today's game twofold that the players it's a partnership now, you know, with how the salary cap is and, and, and you have these players for long-term deals. And, and if you're going to go and be the, be the hard iron fist, 
you lose guys. And, and, and I think if you can create some kind of atmosphere, some kind of culture where it, it doesn't mean that it's not honest, doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that there's going to be some tough conversations. But I think if you're able to listen, if you're able to be compassionate, I think you're going to grow with the player and then you're going to build trust. And I think when you build trust, that's when you're really coaching. By the way, listening to you, I, I started thinking about 2010 when uh, you were, uh, were at training camp, Robin. Uh, we're interviewing James Shepard, and James Shepard's locker was right next to Bruno. And we're talking about the new coach, Todd Richards. And James made some comment like, it's just nice to be coached by somebody that played the game. And Bruno all of a sudden just looked up as he was like tying his his like shoes. And when we got done, I, I said to Bruno, I said, what do you think about that? He goes, should I tell him that we, he was just coached by a Hall of Famer and Jacques Lemaire? Like, <laughs> like, like That's right. <laughs> it was like James Shepard was excited to be coached by Todd Richards because he played but the that, game. That Lemaire guy Lemaire. on that, those Canadian teams yeah. from the 70s. Who cares about that, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, I uh, forgot about that. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about Barry Trotz. Obviously, he's your first ever coach. And if anybody knows, uh, you know, the importance of patience, it's him, right? I mean, he coached, uh, it was David Poyle and him as a tag team for a long, long time there in Nashville. Um, can you talk about just, uh, you know, the mutual respect that you two have for each other? What what made you think that this is the person I could trust to go to for my next job? And and a little bit about the team, you know, I mean, you know, you got the goalie in Soros, you got some great D there, great D and, and you know, obviously Yossi and and McDonough and, and Tyson Berry, who I covered his dad and uh, Fabro. And, you know, there's a kid Parson in there that lit up the wild in the final regular season game for the wild. It looks like an absolute young stud. It just seems like there's a lot there to work with. Yeah. The first part with, with Barry, our, our relationship goes back 30, 31 years ago. Um, and Barry's obviously been a, a later pick in Washington and, and kind of going to the American league and working with Barry um, with as being a young scorer at a junior that really know how no clue how to play hockey, uh, was out of shape, uh, wasn't ready for for professional hockey, and the patience he showed me, the trust he put in me, um, and a lot of the things that I've tried to incorporate through not just through hockey through my life uh, of values and how to treat people stem from Barry, and uh, you know I think we've kept in touch through the whole years. He's always very supportive. He coached me in Nashville, even other places I, I played. He was always sort of in touch. And um, we had so many great memories together in, in Portland. We won a Calder Cup and uh, we went to the finals and lost in game seven. So we went through a lot of stuff together. Uh, he helped me grow as a, a person and obviously a hockey player because I never would have played if it wasn't for Barry. So we've had that, you know, I've had that mentor for most of my life, professional hockey life. And when an opportunity comes, to get back to work with them. And I think we, we see the game a lot of the similar ways, different in a lot of ways, but similar in a lot of ways, how we, you know, how we treat people, how we treat players, um, you know, the work ethic that comes with being a pro, but he also have, want to have some enjoyment in the game. So a lot of those things just fit um, and to be connected with them. And, and again, somebody that I have a lot of a trust in, and in, in, in I mean, it was a no-brainer for me. As for the as for the Predators, Nashville, I think they got a lot of you know really 
unique pieces. Um, you know, with the goalie, uh, you'll see, um, and you said up front with Forsberg and Duchesne and, and Johansson and, and the influx of young players that they have coming. I think they have seven picks in the top 83 this year. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to being part of that process of growing that, that group. Uh, there's pieces in place, but I think the future for them in the next few years looks really bright. You talked about Parsonen. Um, so they're, they're, it, it's an exciting time to be in Nashville Predator. Um, we're going to hopefully grow as a group here over the next few years and, and kind of hit the hit the goal that I think when I went in 98, I was hoping to accomplish. Maybe I come back and, and find a way to win a Stanley Cup in Nashville. Uh, that being said, a lot of times when a coach takes over, it's midseason. You're just trying to right the ship and stop the bleeding and, and get guys on the right path. But when you get a job at this time of the year, you know, during the Stanley Cup finals, paint me a picture of the last week. Is it spent? on the phone or on zoom calls, talking to players. I mean, what do you, what do you do the first week when everyone's kind of scattered by this point? Well, it's just been a whirlwind. Um, just even from our season in New Jersey, um, ending probably, I don't know, three weeks ago, uh, you know, it feels like about five years ago and a little bit of disappointment in the second round. And then you're just kind of de- trying to decompress a little bit. And, and, uh, there was no time for that. And then you kind of go on this whirlwind kind of interview tour a little bit. And, and then you, then you have the stress of making a decision, um, and then you're kind of pulled each and every different way. And then, then you meet with the players, you're trying to just really introduce yourself. The nice thing about it is you have some runway, you know, I think last year, uh, you know, when I was in Florida, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of ran into July before I knew I wasn't coming back. Um, a lot of the head jobs were gone. Uh, you still want to coach, you want to put yourself in the best position as possible. So, and then you end up in Jersey at the end of July and then the runway's short and you have no real chance to decompress because you, you're you're getting up and moving. So at least this year, there's there's three months to to try to reach out to the players, get to know them a little bit, um, try to to understand and 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 meet all the staff and, and see where direction everybody's going. So there's a lot of work to be done. It's fun work. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a real whirlwind. Um, Andrew, um, obviously I'm in Florida, uh, covering the Stanley cup final. Um, you know, you, you coached him a presence trophy last year. You were a Jack Adams finalist. Um, you, you mentioned how late it was in the game before you were informed that you weren't returning. How, how tough was that? And, you know, when you look at this team now, um, one, how proud are you of your former players, but two, do you, do you wonder, you know, what could have been? Yeah. I mean, great questions. I think, you know, I'd be lying to him if I said it wasn't tough, um, last summer and i really um i love that group i I watched them grow for for three years and and you knew um they're a special group and and we kind of ran out of gas we lost their mojo and there's so many great learning experiences from from last year for that group um you know with tampa sweeping us and uh, kind of looking at them and and knowing hey this is the team we want to be and 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 this is what it takes and we've had multiple conversations and i think they're aware of it i think i talked to you know, Joe a lot in, in Colorado and, and they had to go through similar things before they broke through. I think it's just the evolution of, of winning. It, it's hard. And, and we all know it's hard, but until you go through, I don't think you really know how hard it is. You, you hear, uh, I saw Jack Eichel's comment there yesterday. So it, 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 it was a great experience and obviously they learned from it. Um, and I'm proud of the way that they've, you know, I, kind of sensed even going into last year probably would have been a little bit of a tough start because when you have a year like you had last year um it's going to test you a little bit uh because there's going to be a letdown and obviously there's a little coaching change so there's a little ball to get going 
But I think the heart and soul of that group and the resiliency and grit that I seen all the two years ago, um, where we had all those comeback wins and, and they never gave up and they wanted to be great. And again, it showed up and, and they found a way to get in the playoffs when it was looking pretty bleak. And I knew once they get in, they'd be a real dangerous team. And um, I'm proud of the way that they they're down three one against Boston and they they find a way. And, and then now they've taken off, you know, kind of, you know, ran through Toronto and Carolina. And now they're getting tested again. And with this group, uh, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised at anything. I wouldn't be surprised if they won four in a row. I mean, they're, that, that's just kind of what's inside that group. So there's pride there, but there's a lot of pain. It's hard. I mean, we're all humans. Um, you wonder what could have been. You wondered if you were here, if you're not there. But I think at the end of the day, when you when you kind of let go of a lot of that, I think you, you feel good that the small part you had in them, but being around them and being seeing how much this means to them. And, and there's so there's some pride and some enjoyment from on my side to see them have success. Yeah. And you should. I mean, trust me, I know this organization better than most. And uh they hadn't won a playoff round since nineteen ninety six until you coached them last year. Um I gotta I gotta ask you, uh Andrew, so I'm having a cigar the other day with Steve Levy in, in Vegas and I you know, still I think one of his most like iconic calls ever was your two thousand three winner that sent Patrick Waugh into retirement, the uh Andrew Brunette, you know, in the in the oh, yeah. in overtime. And so I just started on I just started telling him Andrew Burnett stories and two that I want you to share on this podcast. One is um, I'll tell you the first one now is uh, you mentioned Quenville. Uh, tell everybody about the gift that he sent you once in front of your home in uh, Woodbury, Minnesota and why. Yeah, we were. Uh, <laughs> it's urban legend. But we, uh, <laughs> but we were. Um, so da- so we had to play Dallas. So it was Dallas or Chicago to get in the game. And I think Chicago ended up losing. And so we had to beat Dallas. Uh, who game 82. Yeah, they needed two. So to, yeah, game 82 to get in the playoffs or, or if they didn't win, Chicago uh, would get in. So anyways, we were extremely shorthanded. Uh, actually, Jared Spurgeon scored a, a real big goal for us. And, and we found a way to, to, beat, to beat Dallas, uh, which with our group at that point, the end of the game 82, we, we found enough luster. And those we always say those teams are dangerous. Well, we were dangerous that day. Um, and we won. So then I had a team party the next day and and had uh a bunch of people come in and, and we knew the, the the Budweiser guy and they dropped off at my house a bunch of beer the day before. And um I'm cleaning up and, and I'm hungover um and, and trying to get garbage and you know, emptying beer cans, etc. And uh, I, I hear this beeping and a Budweiser truck starts pulling in my driveway. And I, I don't even want to see a beer the rest of my life at this point. So he's pulling in and, and I wave him down. And I'm like, uh, no, no, no. You guys came yesterday. You know, I, I, we're, we, we've had, I've had more than enough here. And uh, he's like, no, sorry, sir. I have to drop this off. It's, it's coming from a real important source. So they drop off. Um, you know, I said, drop off a bunch of cases. I said, well, who's who's the real important source? And they, they said, Joel Quenville. So, <laughs> so he, uh, <laughs> yeah, so he dropped off 12 cases of beer uh, unannounced. And again, that's urban legend. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was basically a thank you gift for beating Dallas. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Dallas for for, for allowing the Blackhawks to uh, make the playoffs. And did they win the cup that year? I think it was, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, hey, last one I wanted you is uh, the story that I love is you you and Ray Ferraro playing for the Thrashers and a ton of stories there. But but uh, the the one the game against the Coyotes 
um, final <laughs> seconds of the game. You guys are like minus a thousand. So tell everybody this story and what rate, what you guys said to each other off the final face-off. Yeah, I mean it was it was a kind of one of those years that uh, nothing went right for us. We're collecting we're collecting birdies all over the place, uh, eagles, you name it. And actually, we caught an eagle, so we're actually playing a pretty good game. And I think we're down two nothing. It might have been right before Christmas or right before the break. And you're kind of feeling good about yourself. Anytime you're even for the Thrashers, you felt pretty good about your hockey game. So we <laughs> we pulled a goalie. They scored to make it three nothing, and so we get to the bench and we're like. Uh, you know, geez, you know, okay, we're minus one. Well, then they, they pull a goalie again and we jump on, they put us on, they score again. So we're minus two and there's about 15 seconds left, 20 seconds left in the game. We're down for nothing. We're a last place team in the league. Uh, we are dash two now. So, that was, so you know, for, for a game you're feeling pretty good at. And there's a face-off in the corner and we call timeout. And when they call timeout, Razor looks at me and says, they better not be doing what I think they're doing, you know, with 25 seconds left. Well, sure enough, we pull a goalie. Uh, we drop a play and, and we just called a kid up from, I think it was Orlando at the time, that spoke very little English. And uh, we're drawing up some special play that we probably never executed ever. Um, so we get to the face-off circle and I, I look over at Ray and, and I said, Ray, nothing good's coming out of this at all. I said, just throw it, like, just put it on the, somewhere around me. I'm going to fall on it and uh, I'm going to kill the rest of the clock because, you know, we're dead. But Ray, being a good soldier, snaps it back. The guy had no, the defenseman had no idea is doing pass it to them. They went down and, and then scored to make it uh, five, nothing. And we're, and we're dash three. And I was, I was so mad at Razor. I said, just, I, I'll kill the, just put it anywhere near me. I'm going to eat that part of my apple. We got too many, too many freaking minuses right now. So, oh man, so there's a million stories from that team. That was the one team uh, we, you know, we had struggles mightily all year, but we found some enjoyment and being around each other, uh, which goes to the point where you could still. I know it's a hard game, and and everything, you know, is, is about wins and losses, and and it, but the experience and being around those guys and being connected was most fun I've had with a lot of different guys. Um, you know, I've been on some really good teams and never had the connection that I had. Uh, with those guys in that in uh in atlanta which kind of shows you a little bit about the game i mean you it's all everybody talks about winning cups and they're trust me we'd all love to but i think if you can find enjoyment with your the players you play with um because those are the everlasting connections that that you that you keep well hopefully you'll find that enjoyment behind the bench as well as that go to the national predators andrew i know it's been a crazy week thanks so much for doing this good luck this season and uh, hopefully this is not the last time we talk to you. Hopefully we'll talk to you uh, after a couple of W's and nobody's a dash two or a dash three in the final minutes of a game. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Anytime. Appreciate it. Andrew Good Brunet. Luck, yeah, thanks. Yeah. The See new head coach of the Nashville Predators. Rapid fire coming up, so don't go anywhere. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. Topic number one, Connor Bedard is awesome. I know, super shocking news. Became the first player in CHL history to sweep the player of the year, the top prospect, and the top scorer awards during the Memorial Cup. Uh, what more can we say about this kid, Russo? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I got to t- uh, talk to him at the press conference the other day in Vegas and, and chat with these other prospects. I thought he was a really humble kid, the way he constantly brings in the other prospects and didn't make this like this was his show. You could tell at times he is, um, feels, you know, it's like, look, anybody that's wired like this, he is, you know that he is wired to be a superstar, but it just seems like there is a humility there that he does want to be very hockey player, like part of the team. Um, and I love, I, I actually love the fact that he took a couple shots at the media during the press conference. He goes on the TNT panel and rips into Bizonette. Sounded like it was a planned joke um, that was probably given to him because I don't think he's got that type of... Uh, balls to sit next to everybody and say uh, a lot of great players here in this panel and YouTube is <laughs> but it was pretty good but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the uh, in the National Hockey League and playing for Chicago and, and let's see look you know I think we're all expecting him to just light the team up right light the league up right away but let's be honest he's still 17 years old right now turning 18 let's let's give him a little you know be a little patient my initial thought when I saw this brief is, how has that not happened before? Sweeping all those awards, like we've had, like there have been so many players that just annihilate junior hockey. I can't believe that he's the first person to ever sweep those awards. That was my initial. Reaction. We all know how good he is, but no one's done that. I believe one of these awards is relatively new, so I think it's it's it's. An, I'd, I'd have to double check it, but it's existed. <laughs> it, well, it's not that new, but newish. Like, not wasn't around when Mario was destroying, okay, yeah. you know, everybody in the queue. Um, rapid fire topic number two, Cole Caulfield sticking around in Montreal. Eight years, $62.8 million. Had 36 points in 46 games this season before he had to have that season-ending surgery. Jesse? Yeah, as long as he continues on his current trajectory, that's going to be a phenomenal contract for Montreal Canadiens. Um, it's become the trend lately. You sign guys to longer-term deals well before they they reach ufa status so that you can keep them uh under the the cap hit that they would be if you waited and just in general i love cole caulfield's story i think smaller skilled guys succeeding in the nhl is good for the game because it'll i remember the hesitancy to draft him coming out even though all he did was score goals um the more those types of players succeed at this level the more skill we're going to see in the game i think it's great yeah matt boldy at seven years 49 was clearly the comparable there and they went one more extra year um i think caulfield um you know they're always going to be linked at the hip in terms of uh because you know uh they could have been drafted around the same time um I just think that it's a really good contract, especially in the context that we all think in a year or two that the cap is going to really start to skyrocket. Once the players pay back all this escrow, that we are going to get to a point where we are now actually, as long as there's no pandemics and work stoppages and things like that, that's going to hurt the business. We're going to see this this cap climb. And if now all of a sudden these players start to oversee over, you know, uh, their contracts, it's these are going to be bargains. Um, so I think that's the gamble here. It's kind of the opposite of what I was saying with Gavrikov. I think one big reason 
why they only want to sign two years in L.A. is that they are betting on themselves. And Dan Milstein thinks that when that cap rises, that this kid could be a monsterly paid defenseman. And I'm going to combine rapid fire topic number three and four because it's both about players on the trade block. And I want to know which one you guys think is going to get moved first. Alex Dabrinkit, apparently Ottawa doing their due diligence right now is a year away from uh, unrestricted free agency. And in Winnipeg, uh, the Jets are reportedly, reportedly, quote, listening to offers for Connor Hellebuck. And of course, people all speculating as to what teams they would fit uh, the best. But who gets moved first if either of these guys does get moved uh, in the near future? Russo. That's a good question. I would say probably Hellebuck. Um, he, they're going to move him. And there's a lot of now, the goalie market is starting to really explode. And I do think that there's a lot of teams right now that are going to need goalies. Pittsburgh, we just mentioned. Ottawa, New Jersey, um, the LA Kings. Um, th- there are teams that are going to need goalies. And I think that they realize that this is the big fish and they better go pounce on that. Where to bring it, I think obviously teams are going to be very, very interested. It's just going to be really fascinating. Um, I, I, to me, actually, just to go back to Winnipeg, it's going to be really fascinating what they do here. Obviously, with, with Shifley, I think Dubois has no intention of, of signing there as well. Um, so these guys, you know, this team is going to have to be, um, you know, really smart in their in their ability to move these players this offseason. Can you imagine being the GM of the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, you know, people want to come to Vegas. People want to come to Florida. People want to come to places where there's no state taxes, you know. Winnipeg's Winnipeg, and Winnipeg is in a country that takes basically fifty-five percent of your salary. You know, you know, uh, in Canada, you know, in terms of uh, taxes and things like that, it is just really hard to be a manager right now in Canada, and especially Winnipeg. And you know, it just puts you in a in a spot as a GM where you've got all these incredible assets, and now you got to move them, and you're going to have to move them for players that you're going to control for a while, and and keep that window. Otherwise, it's just a never-ending cycle there. And I, just, I I do feel for the fans and. And again, the uh, the context of, of what the perception out there is of playing in Winnipeg versus some of these other southern market cities. So initially, when I heard this question, I thought Dubrincic will be moved first because it's tougher to trade a goalie. Um, there aren't as many spots available, obviously, as there are for forwards and defensemen. They're, the cap is tough to, to manage, but Russo uh, convinced me I think Hellebuck will go first just because how many teams there are looking for a goalie, so... Uh, Russo sold me. I'll go with Hellebuck goes first, too. All right, boys. Another show in the books. I usually ask you what you're working on, but I already know what both of you are working on tonight. Jesse's going to be working on the basketball game and probably a frosty beverage or two. And Russo's going to work on his new piece. I'm I'm looking at the title now. Aiden Hill Save Greatest in Stanley Cup Final History. (laughs) Um, And I can't wait to read each and every word about why that's the most important save, even though it was in game one, so we'll it's see gonna you next be, it's week, gonna boys. Be the, it's going to be the greatest save in game one before the team that had it robbed still tied the game. That's going to be the Or why it's not the greatest save. Stop loving on it. It's just incredible. Uh, I want to let everybody know if you want to see Russo's curmudgeon face as he's telling us Aiden Hill save wasn't that great. Head to YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. And The Athletic Hockey Show continues Thursday with Down Goes Brown and Shayna Goldman. Want to say a big thanks to Andrew Burnett for joining us on the show. For Russo and Jesse and Pizzo, we'll see you next week.